the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn, horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Pastor Jerry. I'm one of the assisting pastors here. What a great crowd. We have a lot of families traveling today um, to go back home for Christmas. And, um, but we got uh, some new people here today and, and some of our old hands. And so it's good to see them. I told uh, a couple of my friends uh, who we've been doing life with for 20-some odd years, doing ministry with for 20-some years, that I would be sharing a particularly hard message this morning for Lana because I'm going to be talking about all my old girlfriends. And so they have come to sit by Lana uh, and, and provide support for her as she goes through this. And she asked me coming across the bridge, she said, well, why didn't you tell me about this? And I said, well, I knew you wouldn't come. And so, and I didn't want her to miss this service. But, but before I get started, let me just begin with prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the promises of God coming near us and loving us right in the midst of our problems and our pain and our hopelessness. Lord, don't let me get in the way of anything you want to say to these good people this morning. May your word be spoken clear and may it uh, minister to their hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Well, i got to deliver now. If I told you I was going to talk about my girlfriends, I, I've got to do that. So we'll just roll it right back to the beginning. It was in the third or fourth grade. And in this little mountain schoolhouse I was in, the boys sat on the right side of the room and the girls sat on the left side of the room. It was a small class. And I'm sitting there one day, I see this note being passed through the girls' section, and then it comes over to the boys' section. And I said, well, that's interesting. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, it winds up on my desk. Well, it turned out that Diane Prophet, now Diane Prophet was really a pretty little girl uh, and, and was the smartest girl in the class. So it's obvious why she would send the note to me, right? No, um, <laughs> uh, but she sent me a note. 
And basically on the note she said, will you be my friend? And then she had two blocks there for yes or no. Um, I didn't know what to do with that note. Because my first thought was, well, everybody's my friend. Uh, but then I thought about how pretty she was and how smart she was. So I, I checked the yes block and, and sent the note back. I thought as I was preparing my message for a lot of the young people in this, they don't know what passing notes is all about. I'm sure you, you all have um, uh, some sort of IT way of doing that that's much more efficient and much more risk averse than passing a note across the room. Well, <clears throat> uh, move on to about the seventh grade, and a couple girls approach me in the hallway, and they say, if uh, you would give Babs a friendship ring, she would accept it. <laughs> well, number one, I didn't know what a friendship ring was. I had to go to some of my friends and figure out what that was. And number two, I was still leery, but uh, this will show you how old I am. I went down to the Sears store, well, um, because it's, that's where, in those days, that's where you bought everything. And I got a little friendship ring. And I brought it back, and sure enough, I approached her in the hallway and offered the friendship ring, and she took it. This was right about the, uh, uh, a little bit before Christmas break. Well, right after Christmas, about two or three days after Christmas, I get this little box in the mail. And uh, I said, oh, she didn't give me anything for Christmas, so she sent me something late, and it just didn't get here. How, how neat is that? And I open up the box, and in the box is the friendship ring that I'd given her two or three weeks earlier. <laughs> and she had a note in it, and it said, uh, you're a great guy, but I just want to be friends. Now, that really confused me because that's how this whole mess got started in the beginning. Um, so, moving right along in the story, my, uh, starting, I, that, that really hurt my heart when I got, that she sent that ring back with no explanation other than just wanting to be friends. And so I spent the next five years from the seventh grade through high school and into college in the gym. I just checked out of relationships with girls because, and, and spent all my time in the gym. So if there was any sport to be played, football, baseball, basketball, wrestling, badminton, it didn't make any difference. I was hanging out in the gym because I didn't want to risk anything else in my life. Now today, um, you know, I had girlfriends, but I never expected that relationship to go anywhere. I was just kind of dating girls because in those days, if you wanted to go to a party, you had to have a date. I know that's a weird thing with the culture nowadays. Nobody goes to parties with dates. You meet girls at the parties. But at any rate, in college, continuing my hanging out in the gym, I'm playing football one day with a bunch of guys, and some guy comes out and says, hey, uh, Meredith College, it was the Baptist Girls School across town from 
NC State where I went to school, uh, said, they're having a mixer for the young freshman girls. And I said, yeah, okay, cool. Let's play ball. Well, and, and, and so they talked to all the guys that were playing football with me to go into the mixer. So I was by myself. I couldn't play football by myself. And so I said, well, heck, I'll go along. Well, um, Luke Combs, who is a country music sing singer, and if any of you know uh, the gospel is embedded in country music, you just have to look for it uh, close enough there. Um, <clears throat> He wrote a song, and the first real hit he ever had was a song called Hurricane. And uh, I, I, Paul was singing a lot last week as he brought the message, so I thought I would go ahead and have a go with this country music song. If, if I can get a little support out there for that, no. But it, I, just quickly, the song was like, you, then you rolled in with the hair in the wind, baby without warning. I was doing all right, but just your sight had my heart storming. Well, I, and then it talks about rain and lightning and thunder and all this kind of stuff. It became a number one hit for him. It was his first number one hit. And for those of you who like country music, he'll be here this summer, July the 5th at the Volvo Stadium. I hope to see all of you there. Um, but anyway, I met this little girl standing under a ginkgo tree at Meredith College. And my life changed forever. Better than I could have ever dreamed or imagined. And as I was preparing this message, I thought about, what if I had stood sort of hanging out, still hiding, playing football and basketball, and baseball and so on. What would I have missed in life? And it would have been everything. Because I wound up marrying that little girl, and we've been married 48 years, about halfway to 49 now. We've had some great children. We've got great-grandchildren. But you see, by one little something in my life, I had sort of locked up my emotions to relationship because I didn't want to be hurt again. And I had to get past that. Well, if you were listening to any of the songs that Trenton and, and the worship uh, people brought this morning, it was the, our, our whole, this whole uh, time in Advent is about God coming near to us looking for relationship. And the real question today for all of us is, what am I going to do with this God that has come near me in this season? You know, we're not talking about a country music hurricane, but what uh, Zechariah in the scripture we read this morning, Zechariah is talking about a hurricane that's coming that was going to be radically um, massively um, change everything for the, the, the nation of Israel in general and for the Gentiles uh, in a broader sense. We've been hanging out in the Gospel of Luke for the last couple of weeks. 
And, what, and if you remember, Paul um, sort of taught about, Luke lay, lays out in great detail uh, about the story of Christ. He's, he's dotting the I's and crossing the T's, giving us all the um, uh, little um, tidbits of the story. Because what Luke's major concern is, he wants us to understand that the birth the work, the passion, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus were a complete fulfillment of all the covenant promises that God had made to his people. In the, in the, in the coming Christ, every promise, every covenant, everything that these people had been hoped for was made complete when Christ came near us. And it's particularly interesting because prior to this story, there's 400 years of silence. The people of Israel have been carried off into captivity. They have been returned from captivity. Um, they have been... Um, um, they were now occupied. If you know anything about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a city that has been occupied and, 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 and the uh, uh, armies have been driven out. They've been reoccupied. The armies have been driven out. It wasn't a stable place. But this nation of Israel has been in complete turmoil for years and years and years. And Zechariah provides us a, a promise from God. And Luke gives it in very specific detail. I'm not going to reread the scripture for you this morning, but it's all there if you want to read it. Well, we pick up uh, the scripture we read today. We, we're picking up when John the Baptist is about eight days old, and uh, the leaders are coming now in the community. They're coming to circumcise him, which was normal for um, young males. And they come and they start calling this baby Zachariah because their assumption was that the baby would be named after his dad because most babes, babies were. And in the Jewish culture, this was important because they believed that the name that you were given was part of your identity and it actually would impact your future. And so they're just going around calling this baby little Zach. And um, Elizabeth intervenes. Now, that Elizabeth intervenes is a biblical way of saying that this became a very awkward moment very quickly. Elizabeth told him, said, the baby is to be called John. The elders replied, well, no one in your family is called it, uh, uh, John. Why would you be naming this baby John? And then they began to use sort of sign language and cutting their eyes over to Zachariah, and they said, Zachariah, you need to get this woman under control. Are you listening to what she's saying? Zachariah asks for a tablet, and he takes the tablet, and he writes down, his name is John. Well... Eugene Peterson, in the message, describes this moment in this manner. He says, 
A deep reverential fear settled over the neighborhood. Now, I'll bring that up to time in our culture. What, what essentially Eugene Peterson was saying, Facebook lit up. I mean, they, they were going back. They said, did you hear what happened today? Did you know what they, they did to this poor little baby boy? Can you believe that Elizabeth spoke out before, before all the elders of the church? And um, um, their big question was, what in the world is going to happen to this child? Well, then Zechariah, in the instant that he wrote this, uh, his name will be John on the tablet. He, he, he was given his speech back. And he, he said, the scripture says, he was filled with the Spirit. And he began to prophesy. Now that's another way of saying God began to speak through Zechariah into this situation. And he said, God has set salvation in the center of our lives. As I tried to visualize that moment as I, I studied and I prepared, it, God set the center of salvation in our lives. With the fulfillment of all the promises, we were assured that we would be delivered from our enemies. We would experience unending mercy in our lives. And we would be rescued from our problems. Why? This is all in the scripture. Just go back and read it. The reason is so that we can worship him without a care in the world. So that we can worship God unfeathered with problems or anxiety or doubt, we could worship him without a care in the world. And then it goes on to talk about the heartfelt mercies of God and God's sunrise will break in upon us. I just didn't have time enough this morning as, as the worship team was leading, but you saw all these verses about light breaking through into the darkness. And for the people of Israel, this was the ultimate experience of light breaking into the darkness. So, my, my major question for you today is, I think every Christmas... In some small way, Christ comes nearer to us. Now, that's sort of hard to get your arms around because he's near to us every day. But I, my heart is always a little bit more tender to the invitation at Christmas time. And so my question to you today is, Christ has come near you. What is going to be your response this Christmas? Some of you will be like I was when I was in elementary school. You say, well, we've always been friends, haven't we? I like him. I'm polite. I even go to church once in a while. Some will be like I was in the seventh grade. And they'll say, whoop, that's close enough, Jesus. I don't need you any closer in my life. You don't know the hurt 
and the pain and the disappointments that have, I have experienced in my life. Yeah, you're a pretty good guy, but I'm going to keep you at arm's length in my life. Oh, many will go through the motions of being a Christian, but they're way too cautious and they're way too cool to be all in. I all but refused the invitation to go to that mixture at Meredith College that day because I didn't want to be hurt anymore. Think about what I would have missed in my life. And that just regards my earthly life. Christmas is a time to be all in. Every day is a time to be all in for Christ. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I know as, and I'm even, as I look into some of your eyes, I, I, can, I can sense you're questioning right now, in your life am I all in? Have I been all in this past year? Well, I'm, I'm here to say, forget about this past year. Start thinking about 2019. Are you going to be all in? In the book of Revelation, now for those of you that aren't Bible scholars, uh, Bible scholars, the book of Revelation is the second easiest book to find in the Bible. It's the one at the end. And does anyone want to guess what the easiest Bible to, uh, book to find in the Bible? That would be Genesis because it's the first one. So uh, that'll help you find the scripture when you want to go looking for it. But in Revelations 3.13... Um, I, was, I, I was laughing at myself because I said, this is probably the first Christmas message that he's brought Scripture out of Revelations, uh, and it may be. But in Revelations 3.13, I believe it is. I want to make sure I told you right. I think it is. Yep. Jesus said to the people, he's writing these letters out to these small churches all around. Now, you've got to remember in these letters that he's writing, he's writing to Christian people. He's writing to people that have some sort of a faith walk. But in, in the letter to the church at Laodicea, he writes, I know your deeds, and you are neither hot nor cold. You are good people. You are a good church. But things are not as good as you think they are. And then he says, I'm looking for people that are red, hot, passionate for me. And this Christmas, that's what God is doing. He wants to be, he desires to have intimacy with you. He desires to have relationship with you. He doesn't just intend to push the shadows back. He, he's on a mission to abolish all darkness. And most importantly, he wants to use you and me and the others in this room to accomplish that. It's not a casual thing. I want to tell you a story about a guy from Monk's Corner. 
Mushcorn is a little bitty town up in the uh, central northern part of Berkeley County. Lana and I lived there for 14 years before we moved down here. There was a guy from Monk's Corner that was on, he was the SWAT commander for the North Charleston Police Department. And one day they were out in the neighborhood someplace, and I, I, don't, I don't even know the details of why they were out there, but uh, whatever it was, the threat or whatever had been taken care of, and he noticed this little lady standing on her porch, a little old lady standing on the porch. And she called him and she said, would you do me a favor? And he said, sure, what do you need? And she said, I, I've got a, I need a light bulb that's in my hallway replaced because I'm afraid I'm going to trip when I go down the long, dark hallway. And so he went into the house and he replaced the light bulb for her. And then he had a little bit of discretionary time. He didn't have anywhere he had to go. So he sat down and he talked to her for about 20 minutes. He left. He didn't think anything else about the conversation. And about two or three months later, he got a phone call. And it was someone from her family calling and says, um, our mom has died, but one of her last requests was, could you get in touch with the officer that replaced my light bulb? Because I want him to be a pallbearer for me when I die. You see, we think about our responsibilities in the coming kingdom, and we look at ourselves and we think we're not worthy when all God is looking for is a few people with red hot, hot, passionate hearts that are willing to replace a few light bulbs in the dark places in this world. That's what Christmas is about. Come on, y'all. That's where the joy is. That's really living. God's not just looking for religious people. He's looking for faithful people. He'll equip you to do what he has for you to do. But the danger is, if you want to keep living life, keeping him at arm's length, you will become a stranger to his will. You won't see the little lady standing on their porches. And you will not understand his ways. You will not know how important that light in the hallway was to that lady. And you're not likely to know him as father. This Christmas, I just want to encourage every one of you to drop the formulas, drop your fears. Drop your wounds and disappointments and open up your arms wide to receive the coming Christ child. In 1847, I'm going to butcher this name, so if there's any French majors out here, you just check with me after service and I'll let you uh, preach this part of the sermon next service. But Placide Capot de Rome K. Moore. 
Now, I won't do, I won't do that again. One time's enough. If you got it better, you come talk to me. But he was a wine merchant in this small little town in France. But he was also sort of the town poet. And the uh, parish priest came to him and said, um, I need a poem for Christmas Eve service, Mass. And so he was honored that he had been asked. Uh, he didn't attend church regularly. He was kind of surprised he was asked to write the poem. But as he traveled from this little town to the, the uh, capital in France, he started reading the story that we've been sharing from Luke. And he wrote the, this poem. By the time he had arrived in the capital, he'd finished it. And it was called Midnight Christmas. And when he read it, he realized he had written something so profound that it had to have music put to it. It had to be a hymn. So he went and got one of his buddies to uh, write the, mel the melody for the song. Um, the musician uh, wrote it, and they put the words to it, and it's what we now know as the hymn, O Holy Night. So uh, Trenton is coming, but what I want to do is kind of lead you through the context of the evolution of this hymn. Because originally it was just a poem. So I'm going to read you the first refrain, and then Trenton is going to lead us as we close this service. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and arrow pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, and oh, hear the angels' voices. O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. <laughs>